Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Pray with me this morning. Jesus, we, we've come gathered in your name. We've come to turn our eyes away from the cares of this world, to turn our eyes on you. And there's nothing else that we know to say greater than Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're grateful that you first loved us and drew us to yourself, but oh, how we love you. We're grateful for the way that you have brought us together, allowed us to come freely to worship you in this country that we live in. We're grateful, God. But we also come in need. We come just declaring that. That's one of the things we love about you, Jesus, is we we can come and be honest with you. We can tell you where our heart aches, where we hurt. We can tell you where we've stumbled and fallen and failed. We can tell you about our emotional needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, needs for healing, needs to be set free. We need you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus, and we need you, Jesus. And so we've gathered. We've gathered to express those needs. We've gathered to express that love, and we are grateful that that is your heart's desire for us to come to you. Jesus, we're grateful that the the heart of of faith in you is just to come to you and then to come to you again and to come to you again. Knowing you, being with you, following you, and then being able to, to tell others about you, about your goodness, about your grace and mercy, about who you are. And the way that you change our lives. Jesus, thank you. We gather in your people and we just, we say, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You you may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, Got one quick announcement I need to make and it's this. Uh, This afternoon at 3 o'clock, if you have been hanging out at at River Bluff for a little while and wondering about, you know, maybe taking the step towards membership, um, today at 3 o'clock we do what we call our Exploring Church Membership Seminar. It's about a a two-hour run, and we talk about where God has brought this church, uh, what he's seen us through, what he has allowed us to partner with him in. And then we talk about where we believe God is taking us in the days ahead and how we believe he's called us to get there. Now, somebody says, well, why you, why you do all that stuff at, up front about where you've been? It's because of this, because we believe that God has poured out incredible grace on us. And because of what we've seen him do, we expect more. Not, not selfishly more, not arrogantly God, we expect you to do, it's not that. It's like we just know him that way. And so we, we, I, I'd invite you to come. If you've been hanging out, you can ask questions about our church. You, uh, we'll talk about what our core beliefs are, why we do the things we do. Doesn't that sound like a song? 
Yeah, okay, well, I won't sing it. I know you're dying for me too, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to take just a second and talk about um, what I have, what I've got to see this week. I have got to see the goodness of God poured out in my life in incredible ways. I'm going to talk more about it uh, down into uh, the message today, but I have seen you, you, you have poured out your mercy on me and compassion and empathy and encouragement, uh, forgiveness, uh, it, it just incredible ways. Uh, it, it has given me even more courage uh, for ministry in the days ahead. But again, I'll, I'll talk more about that in, in a moment. One of the things that my heart always longs for is that those of you who may be kind of new to this place, uh, maybe don't know a lot of people yet, um, that one of the things that you don't know is just how sacrificial and generous so many people around here actually are. And I, I want you to meet one of those people and, and hear, hear this story because it, it is, it is uh, an illustration of so many more. But I also want us to take a moment to, to thank this person for letting God's grace flow through them in such a a, a dynamic way. And Cindy Shirley, Cindy, if you'd make your way up here, Cindy Shirley walked more closely in this story than I did. So I'm going to ask her to, uh, to tell you a little bit uh, about this journey that she's been on with uh, someone that's a part of our church. Thanks so much, Joe. So when we started the counseling center 11 years ago, it was apparent to me as somebody who had really done counseling in the Christian realm all of my professional life that we needed some folks that would join our team and that I could look for counsel from who had a, a bigger array of experiences in counseling. And so I called on one of our elders at the time, his name's Tom Lynch, and I'm gonna have Tom start heading up here too, and said, hey Tom, will you just come and talk with me? as we're starting the counseling center, I need some input. And really that's all I was asking for was a little input. And uh, Tom and I sat in one of the offices even before we opened and, and he just, we talked about kind of the, the array of people we may get. Tom was, uh, he had retired twice at that point. He had retired from the Navy, right? Yeah. And then he had retired from Palmetto Behavioral Health where he was a, a wing director and he oversaw other counselors, and so he had seen everything. And I asked Tom, you know, what do we need to be prepared for? And we had this just fabulous talk about leadership and what we needed to be able to address when it came to taking insurance and the kinds of people that we would see, and I just valued that input so much. And that was 11 years ago, and in that conversation, one of the things Tom said was, you know, let me talk to Jeannie, his wife, because we make our decisions together, but I might be able to, you know, give some time. And I think even at the beginning, he gave two days a week, right? And then eventually we went down to one. Well, Tom has been with us for 11 years, and he's about to retire, but he's done more than just the counseling that he's done, because Tom and Jeannie came to me shortly after that original conversation. Tom said, Jeannie and I have talked, and I don't want to have an income. We don't want to make any money 
from the counseling. And so what he said originally was, I'd really like to do it for free. And I said, well, you know, we need to be sure that people have accountability and they're paying for what they get and that kind of thing. And he said, that's fine, but I don't want to take anything home. And so that gave us this opportunity because what we talked about was one of our heart's desires was to be able to provide counseling for people who, who didn't have insurance, no matter what their ability to pay And so we could have Tom see people that way, but also because he wasn't taking anything home, his part of what he brought in went into what's called our scholarship fund. And that scholarship fund has made it possible for literally hundreds and hundreds of people to be able to get counseling when they couldn't have otherwise afforded it. And I just, when I think about that sacrifice on Tom's part and Jeannie's part because they were in it together, literally, I mean, absolutely literally, our counseling center and what we can offer to the community in Charleston, it, it, it would not be the same apart from them. I mean, their influence over that, the number of people who have been served, I mean, we have children who were abused that have really gotten healing, I mean, like real healing and can go on into their lives in ways that they couldn't have gotten otherwise. Marriages that were saved, not just from Tom's counsel. However, he was my go-to guy whenever we had somebody that I was like, I don't know what to do here. Tom, Tom had so much experience that he could help them. And so this is just our way of saying to you, Tom, and to you, Jeannie, thank you so much. We would not be who we are apart from you. And we're sorry to see you go, but we thank you for everything you've done. And I'll just say one more thing, and that is that I really thought we were going to lose time before now, because when we had to go to virtual, I thought, no, he's just going to say I'm done. But he didn't. And so for 17 months, he's been doing virtual counseling as well. So thank you both. Thank you both so very, very much. We love you. Jeannie, stand up. This is Jeannie. This is Tom's wife. Yeah. She, she didn't want to be up here on the stage. This is a, a demonstration of sacrifice, uh, of, uh, of surrender to the work of God, not wanting to gain credit or notoriety or financial gain from it, and just gave so generously for so long. And, and that's one story. There are so many others. And I'm just grateful to be a part of a church that does this, uh, that pours out so much. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that today you're going to get to see that, that image of God that would draw your heart to, to, to do more, to, to give more, to look for places to say, God, I want to be in that with you. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you would get them uh, in tune, open uh, to... Exodus chapter 14, that's where we're going to be today, Exodus chapter 14. Um, Exodus chapter 14 is this incredible place. Uh, We're going to look at, really focus on one verse, but we'll do a a good part of the chapter. Last week I told you that uh, a couple of verses that have been special in my life 
for years. I told you the selfish reason why last week. I'm not going to go in that again, but um, it, uh, it, we t- looked at Psalms uh, last week, Psalm 4610, that says, be still and know that I am God. Today, we're going to look at Exodus 14, verse 14. That's where I want to turn your attention to, to begin with. And the NIV translates Exodus 14, 14 this way, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. ESV translates it this way. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You can translate those words either way. Be still, be silent. It's talking about being present in front of the Lord. Being still enough, quiet enough, so that the Lord could say what he needs to say to us. And this this verse is in the context of one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament, if not the greatest miracle. I remember hearing a story of a little boy who had gone to Sunday school, and after Sunday school, his dad picked him up, and they walked out to the car, and they were, they were heading home, and the dad, you know, asked his son, like so many parents would do, well, what did, what did y'all talk about today in, in your Bible study class? And, and the little boy kind of hesitated, and he said, we talked about Moses. And then he just kind of became silent, and his dad you know, kind of wanted a little more information. He said, okay, well, what, what was the conversation? What, did you, what, what about Moses? And the little boy uh, had another long pause and was very silent, and he said, well, um, the, the teacher told us that about the time when Moses was behind enemy, enemy lines, uh, the Egyptian enemy lines, and and God had sent them there because they were being held captive. They were, they, they were prisoners in, in this war. And Moses broke them out. And they started escaping. And they got, got to this, this place. And it was the, next to the Red Sea. And suddenly the Egyptian army came running after them. Chasing them. Was going to destroy them. And, and they, were, they were so afraid. So uh, Moses radioed for the Army Corps of Engineers to come in and build a bridge across the sea. And so the engineers showed up and they built this bridge across the sea. And, uh, and they start making their way across. And they all get across. And the, the Egyptian army's following them. So they just come across the bridge too. So Moses radioed into headquarters and said, we need bombers. Send bombers. And the headquarters sent bombers, and they bombed the bridge, and the, the, the whole army of the Egyptians were wiped out. And so the dad said, now, Junior, is that really what your teacher told you today? And he said, no, Dad, but there's no way you would believe what they actually told me. You know, the, the truth is, and I would encourage you later today to go read all of Exodus 14. Great, great passage of scripture. Incredible, miraculous power of God revealed and unleashed for the sake of his people. But so often, so many people deny the miraculous part of that. And they try to help God out. And they try to come up with all these scientific explanations of, well, it, it, it happened, but this is how it happened. And I'm just, I just quite frankly feel sorry for people who cannot accept that the God who spoke creation into existence set the natural orders of law at work in, in the world and the universe that we live in could not, when it was necessary, say, I want to change those laws for just a moment and accomplish my good pleasure, my purpose. 
That's what a miracle is. God's setting aside the laws he established to accomplish a specific work that he wants to do. And God wants to do that for, for his people at times. And he does that in what we look at today, Exodus chapter 14. And what I want to do this morning is I want to read portions of it and stop and kind of talk about it, make some observations, and then, then press on. Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. And so I hope you notice what it said. They had to turn back. So they were heading away from Egypt. And God said, no, turn around and head back towards Egypt and put yourself up here by the Red Sea. Verse 3. He goes on to say, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his toast. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And it says the people of God did so. They followed. Moses gave the instructions and, and they followed. Now here's what I want you to see that I observe real quickly out of this account is this. God is never surprised when you need him to fight for you. He's going to fight for the people here soon. But he's never surprised at that because he wants you to see his glory. He wants you to see how incredible he is. He wants you to know his heart for you. He wants you to know the power that he has. He's never surprised. See, God had been at work setting his people free. And Pharaoh had publicly mocked the Lord over and over again. That's what the ten plagues were about. And after each one, Pharaoh would mock the Lord again. And the Bible says that you will not mock God and get away with it. That God is going to deal with that. And so God will not leave Egypt without them seeing his glory. In the mind of every Egyptian, in the mind of Pharaoh, they will know that there is no God like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Israelite people. But God was also at work in his people, in, in their presence. He was preparing them for the days ahead when they would have to engage in battles that they were going to face. And God wanted to display his power, his might, his glory, so that the people would know that he was with them, that he was this kind of God. See, God, your father, wants you to know him that way. So you will put your trust in him. If, if you've trusted his son for your salvation, he wants you to know that you can trust him in the here and now. That he will fight battles for you. That's what God wants to do. And he's given us his word so that we can believe that he's true, that he's done this, that he's faithful. So that we could then be still in his presence. So that we could see him fight for us. Just in those moments when you feel like you were backed into a corner, your back's against the wall. One of the things that God has said he will do is he will fight for you. And I've seen him do that. I've watched him in incredible ways over the last couple of months fight for my heart, fight for my mind, fight to draw me nearer to him, fight just showing me his glory in so many ways. I've watched God do that, and he wants to do that for you. He wants you to see him fighting for you. 
And that's one of the things I'm praying as we go through this message is you'll see God as the one you can hope in when your back's against the wall. When you feel like there's no way out, that the only possibility is, is destruction. God wants to fight for you. And you can turn to him and he will show you his glory. The glory that we talked about two weeks ago, a little later in Exodus chapter 34, where God is revealing himself, and, and God says, I am, I am merciful, and I am gracious, and I am abounding in steadfast love, and I am filled with mercy. That's who God is at his heart. And he has love for you, and he wants you to see his glory. He wants you to put your trust in him. And so let's press on. Exodus chapter 14, let's pick up in verse 5. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done, that we have let the Israelites go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots. So this is all of the chariots that are in Egypt, it says, with the officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were doing what? They were going out, it says, defiantly. Now that's an interesting concept that the people of Israel at this point, they were still moving out of Egypt when all this, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and it says they were going out defiantly. That's, that's this and it's interesting to me that God's word points this out because there are a couple of things here that uh, I think we need to think about. It didn't say they were going out humbly. They weren't going out saying, praise God, look what God has done. They were going out with a raised fist at the nation of Egypt. They were, they were you know, thumbing their nose at Pharaoh. They were going out defiantly, the Bible says. This is the, the attitude of their heart. You remember what the last plague was? The death of the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. The whole nation was mourning. Firstborn children from every family dead. Firstborn of all living things in the land of Egypt dead. And they, they weren't mourning. They didn't care about the sorrow, the grief, the pain that so many of these people were in. They were going out defiantly. Friends, one of the things that I, I, I see in this is a mocking attitude. I just imagine them mocking, acting somehow as if they had done something to secure their freedom when they had really done nothing. It all had been the grace of God through his marvelous power. Friends, that leads me to a second insight, observation, out of my own life experience and out of this, this scripture, one of the things is this that I observe is our need for God's intervention, our need for God to come and fight for us often comes when we think we've had a victory, when we think we've won out of our own fleshly means. When we think somehow through my own ingenuity, through my own understanding, through my own power, I've handled this, that's a sure sign that God's gonna need to do some fighting for you soon. When pride comes in, and I, I told you about God dealing with me on the pride issue last week, I, I, I shared that with you, and I'm not gonna unpack it all again, 
But one of the things that's true is when pride sets in, it will not be long before there's a fall. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction. It comes before a, a fall. And I shared with you that was something that God brought me through. And I wasn't one of those who would ask for help. And God said it's because of pride. And I've committed to do that. And some of our staff are already tired of me asking them for more help uh, from this past week. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep... I'm going to keep asking for help. I've, I've, I made a commitment publicly to do that, and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it right now. And I'm taking a little bit of a risk because the help that I'm going to ask you for may feel a little controversial to you. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but our students' um, ministry got back from Fuge uh, Camp this past, they got back yesterday. And um, one of the things that occurred, they, they've had some great experiences with the Lord. Uh, I haven't heard all of them, but I've been told just some wonderful things that God has done. But while at camp on Friday, the leaders of the camp notified our leadership and all leaders of every church that was there that um, a, a student had tested positive for COVID on Friday. And they had one more day. They, they would be packing up and leaving Saturday. Um, and so what they promised to do was they were going to do contact tracing of this student. And if that student had been in contact with any students in the other churches, those church leaders would be notified. Well, our church leaders did not get notified. So it was assumed that none of our kids had been in contact with this particular person from this other church. And so the next day comes and one of our students is not feeling well. And they text their parent and let them know they're not feeling well. And uh, somehow the, it had gotten out that this had occurred. And so as soon as they get back, this student's parents, uh, thankfully, went and had their, their child tested. And uh, she tested positive for COVID, doing the rapid test. And she was home last night running a fever and, um, you know, coughing some other associated kinds of things, which means our entire student ministry was exposed. If you've ever been to student camp, uh, as the kids would say, they all up in each other's grill. You know, they're, they're, they're just, you just, that's the way you live at camp. And so it was, you know, a, an obvious thing. And so um, Garrett made phone calls to all the parents to kind of let them know this and uh, so our students have gone into quarantine. They, they're not here today, um, if they, unless they've been vaccinated. Um, if they've been vaccinated, you know, the CDC tells us we can continue on unless we have symptoms. And so they're, they're, they're away. Some of them are getting tested today. We're praying that it stops there with this one student. That's what we're praying. That's what I'm asking God for. And so part of the help I'm asking you for now is to pray. Pray for that student at that other church. Pray that it goes no further than that. Pray that for our student and their family that this is, it ends here. Uh, just, just, just pray for that. But I'm going to go a little bit further, and I'm going to ask for your help one more way. I'm going to ask you to pray for something else, about something else. And I'm going to ask you to pray, if you have chosen to this point not to be vaccinated, I'm going to ask you to go back to the Lord again and pray and ask God, is this something I should do? 
not necessarily for yourself, but maybe for somebody else. Now, I get that this is a personal decision, and so that's not why I'm asking you to go get vaccinated. I'm asking you to pray, to seek the Lord in this, not news, the Lord, and ask God what you would do. I know it's a personal decision, but this personal decision has a communal impact. It has a communal impact. So I'm just gonna ask you to pray. Pray for our student. Pray for our other students and families uh, and, and ask the Lord about this matter. Because we need, I need your help taking care of our family here. And our children cannot be vaccinated yet. They just can't. And I think one of the ways that we care for others is we, we do, we sacrifice for one another. You know, we've already talked about what that could look like, sacrificing uh, for somebody else. And, and this, is, this is what we do. We, we sacrifice for one another. And we, when we do that, we get to see the Lord fighting for us in some I- I- incredible ways. He'll, he'll fight for your heart. He'll fight for my heart. When, when we come to him and we say, I'm going to put down pride. I'm going to pursue you, God, with uh, my heart. We, we get to see God do in, incredible things fighting for us. He, he loves you. Let's head back to the scripture. Go to verse 9, if you would. Starting in verse 9, it says this. The Egyptians pursued them all, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. This is the whole army, the cavalry, everything that Pharaoh has, he is bringing to the table. He's bringing to the battlefield. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the uh, Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Now, God, throughout the journey of the 10 plagues, had told the people not to fear, that he would see them through this. But it says they feared greatly. And so it says, and the people cried out, to the Lord. Now, one of the uh, observations, one of the things I take away as I, as I study this, as I read it, is this. God had on multiple occasions told them, don't be afraid. But they got afraid. Now, here's the truth about our God. God will fight for you even when you give in to fear. Because you give in to fear about something doesn't, doesn't negate God's plan to fight for you. He's in it for you. He loves you. He is not going to deny you or reject you because you, your heart may give in to fear. The scriptures replete with God's call for his people not to be afraid. But God is a loving, compassionate father. Were any of you scared of the dark as a kid? Are any of you still scared? Okay. Did, did, you ever, did you ever have one of those nights as a kid that you thought something might be under your bed or in your closet? What does a loving father do in a moment like that? Ah, go to sleep. No. A loving, compassionate father goes in and does an under-the-bed check with a flashlight and shows the child nothing under here. Opens the closet. Takes everything out if you have to. Because that, that dad is more interested in the heart of that child and wants them to see. They, they, see, that's, that's God your father. He is going to fight for you. Even though he said don't be afraid. He, he doesn't want you to be afraid for you. 
But if you are, he's still going to fight for you. He has that compassionate heart. They were afraid, but they still got to see the glory of God manifested powerfully in their presence that day as the Lord fought for them. God doesn't hold those things back. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord says, Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you, the Lord declares. Over and over again, God says, I'm going to fight for you. You don't have to be afraid. But fear sets into our hearts sometimes. But that will not stop your loving father fighting for you. Jump back into uh, our biblical account here, verse 11. It says, so they've cried out to God in verse 10. And then it says, and they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, who had delivered them from Pharaoh? Not Moses, God had. God had done that. But who are they blaming now? They've just cried out to God, now they're blaming Moses. I mean, it it, it goes on. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. They're thinking, oh man, it was so great back there in Egypt. We, we, We loved being slaves, it was such a marvelous thing. Keep going, it says, For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Friends, one of the things that I observe here and I've observed in life is this. Though God will fight for you, there will be times people might turn on you. People will turn on you. Are y'all familiar with the song, Haters Gotta Hate? People will. Friends, you may not know this about yourself and you may not know it about me, but we're all, it's true for all of us. We're fickle. We're just all fickle at times. That, that's just the, the truth about us. But we need not live in fear of fickle people. Look at this passage out of Psalms 118. David was surrounded at times by fickle people, but he he understood that it's about the Lord. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And then there's this incredible question for what can man do to me? When it comes down to it, ultimately, what can somebody else do to me? He goes on to say, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall, he's talking about one day, I shall look in triumph for those who hate me. And in our account today, Moses doesn't falter. He had been with the Lord. He had heard from the Lord. He had witnessed the Lord's awesome power through the 10 plagues. Moses had been still and silent before the Lord on that mountain that day when that bush burned and would not be consumed. And he would hear the Lord speak to him out of it. And Moses' life was forever changed. Moses had heard God. And so he would not be deterred by fickle people. And he would deal with these fickle people for a long time to come but he would worship the Lord and he knew that the Lord was unchanging the Lord wasn't going to change his mind because of a few fickle people the New Testament writer of of Hebrews tells us this too about about God he says God has said I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you so we can say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can man do to me he's quoting David he's quoting the Old Testament He's saying this is just true. God will not forsake his people. Okay, back to uh, our our narrative here. 
Uh, let's go to verse 13. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. They've already been afraid, but he says, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians of whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord is going to fight for you. One of the things that God wants you to know as to why he will fight for you is because God has this purpose of your salvation in mind at all times. God fights for you because God wants to save you. It's his purpose. The salvation of his people, the redemption of his people, the heart of his people, that's on the heart of God. When Jesus came and came to do his, his purpose of salvation, Jesus declared his mission statement, his purpose statement in John chapter 19. He said, the son of man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. It, it was for the sake of salvation that Jesus says he came. Many of you know, this isn't going to come up on the screen. You know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is purposed to save his people. David knew that about God because he had, he had sat still in the presence of God so many times out in the wilderness. And David understood this in Psalm 138. He declares, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. It's his purpose to deliver. That's God's purpose. And he is unchanging. He is still in the salvation business. And so I just want to say this word quickly. If you are here today and you have never put your total trust in Jesus as the only way to the salvation of God Almighty, I would say make that, make that right today. You just go, go to God in prayer. Thank God for what Jesus did on the cross because what he did there was he took his glory, his beauty, his life, and he exchanged it for your life that the Bible says in my life, it says our lives are like filthy rags, just filth. But he exchanged his glory for us. And if you put your trust in that exchange, that Jesus will do that, and you will allow him to lead your life and be Lord of your life, the Bible says he will save you for all eternity. And he will be about the business of saving you day after day after day. Because he wants to fight for you. If you want to talk about that in more detail, I, I would love to. Our, our, our staff here at the church would love to. Our, uh, our elders would love to just sit and, and have conversation with you about that. So that there's no question in your mind re related to that. Press on to verse, verse 15, if you would. I want to go back and read it in the context of 13, 14, and 15. So jump back to, to 13. And it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, shall you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Some translations say, remember, say, be still. And then verse 15 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. 
to go forward. One of the reasons that it's so essential and so important for us to be still, to be quiet. When we find our backs against the wall, when we find ourselves that looking like the only thing that lie ahead is destruction, one of the reasons that we need to be still, that we need to be silent before the Lord is he's gonna tell us something. He had a message that he needed to get to the people that day. And that message was, move forward. You gotta get out of the way of what I'm about to do. You gotta move forward. And forward for them was to the, to the sea. See, here's the truth about God. We need to be still and be silent if we wanna see God fight for us because he's gotta give us clear direction for what to do next. He's gotta give us clear direction before he's going to begin the fight, he's got to sometimes move us to a place of safety. He's got to move us to that place where we will be still, where we can hear his next, his next command to us because his next command is so essential that we move forward so that we could see him fight for us. And, and God, God needs his people in the confusing days in which we all live we need to have times of being still before the Lord, being silent before God, getting out of the rat race that is our lives and just be silent before him so that we can hear him tell us, move forward. I know it's scary. I know what you're facing. It feels like you're going to be destroyed, that you're going to be swallowed up, that you will be no more but I'm gonna fight for you. But you have got to hear my voice telling you to move forward. Now, oftentimes, where he tells you to move will be counterintuitive. It, it was counterintuitive for the Israelites that day to move towards the sea. I, I mean, the, the, so we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna kill ourselves, we're just gonna go drown? Is that, what we're, is that how we're gonna do this, God? Is, the, is, is that what's gonna happen? Friends, the Lord wants to deliver. He's going to deliver. But you've got to hear his voice tell you where's the path of deliverance for you right now. You know, this book is filled with paths of deliverance. Confession is a path of deliverance. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Confession is a path of deliverance. Forgiveness, both Giving it, extending it, and receiving it is a path of deliverance. Mercy, mercy for even one's enemies is a path of deliverance. Generosity, sacrifice are paths in the kingdom of God for you to get to see him fight for you. But will you hear his voice say, I need you to walk this path. I know it's counterintuitive. I know it doesn't make sense to you right now. But here's how you're going to get to see me fight for you. You're going to get to see my power, my glory displayed. And this, this wasn't the last time God had to do that for his people, Israel. They were about to cross into the promised land. But fear once again set in their hearts. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God said this in verse 26. You would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of, of, of the Lord your God. God commanded them again to go forward. Go up. But they hadn't listened to him. They were too distracted by the giants in the land. And so they wouldn't go. God says, I'm going to fight for you. The Lord himself, I'm going to fight for you, he tells them. But you got to go up. 
But see, they weren't listening. They, 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 they wouldn't do this counterintuitive thing. They were too busy with all the concerns. Friends, this is who God is. This is your God. This is who God wants to be for you. Because of that, I want to close with just two, two kind of reflections that I've done uh, since my time back, really. Um, but even while I, I was away on sabbatical, two things that I, I, I see and I know about our God. The first one is this. We need to know that we know that we know that Jesus is always fighting for us every moment. Every moment, Jesus is fighting for us. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes these words. He says, who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of, the, uh, of God, who indeed is doing what? Interceding for us. And that, the language there is continuously interceding. He's interceding in the throne room of God, what's called the throne of grace. He's interceding. Look what the writer of Hebrews writes, Hebrews chapter 7. But Jesus lives forever, so he serves as a priest forever. That is why he is always able to save those who come to God through him. He can do this because he always lives and intercedes for them. Friends, when you blow it, when you, just, when, when, when you blow it, when you lose the battle of sin in your life, when, when, when you lose that, Jesus looks at the Father, and what Jesus says is, man, that's one of mine. That, 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 that's, they've trusted me. They're, they're mine. They belong to me. That's, I, they're my bride. Yeah, they, they blew it and botched it. And, and friends, please understand this. Jesus is not interceding before the Father because God forgot that. He didn't get senile. Jesus, it's not like he's got to remind God because God's angry with you. That's, that's a lie. What Jesus, I believe, is doing is just celebrating. They're one of mine. They're, they're, they're one of mine. I love them. Yeah, they bumble and stumble, but they're mine. God, I'm just excited about them. I'm excited about what can be and what, what will be. In his book, you know, ever since I've come back, I've commended this one book to, to you multiple times, Gentle and Lowly, by, by Dane Ortland. And I love the way he points out something about, about the heart of Jesus. And I, let, let me read it to you. This is just an excerpt from his book. He says, as we simply seek to follow the biblical witness in speaking of Christ's heart of affection towards sinners and sufferers, it, if there appears to be some sense of disproportion in the Bible's portrait of Christ, then let us be accordingly disproportionate. It's better to be biblical than artificially balanced. He goes on to say, and if the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness which he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. This is deeper than just saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. I love the way he describes the heart of Jesus. That when we're suffering in our sin, 
it's attractive. We're attractive to him. He, he draws near to us in those moments. You got to know that Jesus is longing to fight for you. You got to know that he's doing it constantly, ceaselessly. Last reflection is this. is that the, the Lord is going to fight for us. And here's a, a clear New Testament biblical truth about this fight. We have the opportunity to partner with God to fight for one another. We have this opportunity to fight for one another with God. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Paul writes, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, you obey the law of Christ, that, that law of love. He writes to the Corinthians. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. We're all afflicted. We all battle our sin. And God has comforted us so that we could turn and comfort others. First Peter, Peter writes these words, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. I shared with you last week from my own personal struggles. And I have seen God fight for me. I have seen the Lord Jesus fight for me. And I've seen people partner with him in that fight for me. That pastor that I wrote to, that I confessed to, that I sought to make amends to, he spoke encouragement over me. He blessed me. He he poured out compassion on me. He was generous to me. I saw God fighting for me there and it, it encouraged me and it gave me strength. And it gave me enough strength to say to our elders, here's the truth about me. And I got to see God fight for me and them partner with God. And they loved me and they poured out mercy on me and compassion on me to redeem me, to setting about to restore me, correcting me, of course but loving me, lavishing grace on me. I saw God fight for me and my brothers and sisters partner with him. And it gave me the courage and strength to be able to, to pour that out to you last week and to confess it to you. And I've seen God fight for me this week. And I've seen many of you partner with me with him and, and, and pour out your love and words of affirmation and, and compassion and it's still taking place this day. Your great grace, you partnered with God and it has strengthened me for the days ahead. And I am more encouraged about ministry in the days ahead than I have been in a long, long time. I've been renewed. I, I've been revived and I'm grateful to get to continue to fight the good fight that God is in for all of us, for you, and partner with him in those battles with you and, and for you. See, it's a great battle, and the greatest weapon that we have is the grace of God, the revealed truth of God, which tells us that our God is filled with mercy. He is gracious. He is steadfast and true. 
He forgives our iniquities. This is who God is. It is the gospel message of Jesus. He's going to fight for you. He's going to fight battles for you. So how are you going to fight them? Let's pray. Father, we, we come now in this moment just really asking the question, God, are we going to step into, for our own lives, are we going to step into whatever it is, wherever you're calling us to move, if we will get still and listen, where are you calling us to move so that we will get to see you fight for us, for our hearts, for our minds, for our souls, God? I don't know where you feel like your back is against the wall. I don't know where you feel like that just around the corner is, is your destruction. But what I do know is this. God has promised to fight for you. If you will be still, if you'll be still in his presence, if you'll be silent and listen, and then when he says go, you'll move up. You'll go up. You'll go forward. You'll take that step. Even when it feels counterintuitive, you'll take that path of confession. You'll, you'll, you'll take that, that, that path of sacrifice. You'll take, God, that, that, that path of mercy or whatever. Whatever path he puts you on, you'll take it because you want to see the Lord fight for you because you can't, you know you can't do this on your own. God will put people around you who will fight with him for you. This is the kind of place where people like that come. This is that kind of church. And God wants us to be that for each other and for you. And so how are you going to fight your battles? Are you going to fight the battles that you're facing out of your flesh, trying to do it on your own? Or are you going to let God fight for you? by being still in his presence, by being silent and listen to him when he speaks and going up with God. That's my prayer for all of us is that we'll fight our battles differently now because God has promised he's gonna fight them for us. That we'll fight them on our knees, we'll fight them in silence, we'll fight them by being still in his presence. And then when he says go, no matter what he tells us to move into, we will run into that battle knowing he's going to fight. He's going to fight for us. That's who he is. That's his heart for you. It's his heart for me. God, we come again this morning, recommitting ourselves afresh, crying out to you, God, we need you to fight the battle that we're facing, trusting God that you will, if we will but listen and take that step. We come now to declare that we're going to fight our battles differently. It's in your name we pray.